You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We can come back together now, and I'll have Megan Henderson come and read our scripture passage today. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This morning we are continuing in our series this Advent season of looking at these hymns of Advent. Last week, Bjorn went through the hymn by Charles Wesley of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it was a beautiful time to kick off the season of Advent as we look and remember, just as Katie was talking about with the kids, of the arrival of Jesus. And again, in our position in time that we get to also look ahead to his second coming, his sure return. Today we get to continue in this series looking at the song, What Child Is This? Now I imagine that's a fairly familiar Christmas song for most, if not all of us. And it has one of those titles where, you know, if you're like me, you think, what child is this? The answer is Jesus. We, we got that figured out. We can move on to the next thing. But when they ask these rhetorical questions, there's a lot of a richness and depth to dig into deeper and to draw out of. And so that's what we aim to do this morning. As we reflect on and look at what child is this, we remember and celebrate that this is Christ the King, the King of Kings, Son of God and Son of Man. Just to give a little lay of the land of, of where we're going in this message time, we'll start with looking at a little bit the author who composed this song, and then look at the passage a little more deeply that Megan just read, and then we'll go on to looking at some of the lyrics too. Again, there's such richness and scriptural depth captured in these words. So What Child Is This was written by a man named William Chatterton Dix. Now, if we will sing this song after this message, and we'll hear the tune again that I'm sure is very familiar to us by the Christmas song, but also I would imagine it's a familiar tune because the melody of What Child Is This is set to the tune of Greensleeves, which predates even the writing of this old hymn by hundreds of years. And if you know anything about the lyrics of Greensleeves, it's not exactly like a Christian worship song. It's about a, a man who's longing after a woman referred to as Lady Greensleeves. And up for debate why the color of her dress is known to be green, but in any case, it's not 
something that's a worship song such as Chatterton Dix wrote. The original text that William Chatterton Dix wrote was a, a larger, longer poem called The Manger Throne. And there's just some beautiful truth captured in, in this larger poem. And then he drew from that poem to then write this song, What Child Is This? And ultimately, those words were put to the tune of Greensleeves, which was a very popular song and melody at the time that he wrote this. And as we look a little further into the life of William Dix, he's a little unique among British hymn writers of his time. So many were clergymen. They worked in professional ministry, was their livelihood, their vocation, and he did not fit this category. He was from England, grew up in Bristol, and then he moved to Glasgow, Scotland, to work as an insurance salesman. But then at the age of 29, he became very, very sick, and he was bedridden for an extended period of time, and that physical illness then affected his mental health as well, and he came into a a deep depression. But ultimately, through it, he met and encountered God in a very personal way. And it's this spiritual experience that led him to writing this hymn and many, many others. William Chatterton Dix was a prolific hymn writer, though we may only be familiar with one or two of his hymns today. He wrote many, many others. He also wrote a couple of devotional books, even a children's book, and his hymns are powerful examples of poetry with rich scriptural truth. I would like to read just one portion from that larger poem, The Manger Throne, as we look at and consider just the drawing together of truth from Scripture in a very beautiful poetic way. Dix writes, Faith sees no longer the stable floor. The pavement of sapphire is there. The clear light of heaven streams out to the world, and the angels of God are crowding the air. And heaven and earth through the spotless birth are at peace on this night so fair. And it's just a beautiful connection that he makes, referencing the new Jerusalem, what we see in Revelation, part of the city being of sapphire, and seeing with eyes of faith this lowly, stable place, but really seeing heaven coming to earth in Jesus' birth in that manger. We also want to take a look further at this morning's passage from Matthew 1, 18-25, keeping in mind that Dix would have read from Scripture the account of Jesus' coming, which would have inspired his words in writing, What child is this? Now Matthew presents Jesus as the royal son of David and the son of God. And Matthew gets referred to at times as the most Jewish of the Gospels. Of course, Jesus grew up in that Jewish place and time, and the connection to King David is critical and very an important piece. And this is not unique only to Matthew in making that connection, but certainly something that his particular audience, being predominantly Jewish, would have had a connection to and understanding of. And as we look at one of those first verses in verse 19, in first century Judaism, Engagement, like that of Mary and Joseph's, was binding. And the participants were already considered legally husband and wife. So we may look at that 
and question why the word divorce would be in there when they're not actually married. But we can understand from their cultural context that the separation that Joseph intended to do was necessary because of how legally connected they were even prior to any sort of wedding ceremony. And prior to the angel's communication with him, Joseph would likely have understood his bride as having committed adultery. And the consequence called for such a thing in that time and place could have been very, very severe. But as we read in this text that Joseph was a righteous man, and he had in mind the kindest path forward to quietly divorce her, to separate from her without bringing shame to her. And I think that Joseph is a figure in the Christmas story and in Scripture that doesn't often get given too much attention, but realizing the significance that Joseph does play. Although he is not Jesus' biological father, he has a significant role in the early life of Jesus. We recognize the connection that Joseph has to David. Mary likely had that as well, too. You see two different genealogies, both in Matthew and in Luke. And also just the communication that the angel is having with Joseph. We see that captured in this passage as well in others where they're instructed to go and flee to Egypt. And so Joseph plays a very significant part in this very special, well-known story. And there is so much to behold in that humble manger, both for those who were originally there, present in real time at the birth or thereafter, and also for us, too, to reflect on and to go back to in our minds, in our hearts, of what that would be like to behold this little baby displaced. There's not a, a real home in that sense that they were traveling when this birth happened, and yet he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, though many did not understand or recognize him as such. And it's clear through this passage that Jesus was supernaturally conceived, a birth like no other, previous or yet to be. Jesus, the Savior, had to be fully God and fully human. We look ahead from the manger to the cross, and simply a human sacrifice would not have sufficed. It had to be a God-sized sacrifice. And what needed to be atoned for was the sinfulness and brokenness of human beings. Jesus had to be both fully God and fully human. Now for us, other than Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus is a very unique time in our time, in our place, in our language. You've maybe encountered a Jesus, but you've probably never met a Jesus other than Jesus Christ. But I'm sure you have met plenty of Joshua's in your life. So Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus that he would have been called, was not at all uncommon in the time and place that he was born. And Joshua is the Old Testament form of the same name. And that name means God helps or God saves. And we obviously know how much Jesus lived that name out. The hoped-for and long-awaited Messiah was expected to save Jewish people from foreign oppressors. There would have been an expectation of military might, a display of power, some great influence and authority as we understand it in human terms. 
But Matthew identifies what the real enemy is, that being sin, that which separates us from God. That when human beings, as long ago as Adam and Eve, separated from God, and we continue to this day as humans to be fallen in our nature, sinful, and that separates us from God. But that connection, that help that we receive from the Deliverer, from the Anointed One, the One who is Jesus, to save us from our sin. And Matthew points out that what is happening has been foretold long ago by the prophet Isaiah concerning the coming of Emmanuel, the one who is called God with us. And we ask in that table question, who is someone that you enjoy spending time with? And remarkably, no matter how we consider ourselves or other people, that God would answer that question as you and I are the people that he wanted to spend time with that he would be willing to send his son to go to earth as a human being to live this life among us, to no temptation, to no limitation, to no difficulty, pain, to no death, that ultimately we can live forever together with God. Now, the biblical understanding of naming someone was more than just assigning a label. It is also about the being and the reality of who that person is. So we can think of it like people will call him Jesus, the name that Joseph gave him, but God will name him, God will constitute him as Emmanuel, God with us. And that Jesus would live that out as the Son of God, living on earth among human beings. And again, verse 25 reaffirms that Jesus has divine existence, that he wasn't just a really, really good person that was born just like any other person would be that God then chose, but that he himself is the Son of God, being fully God and fully human. And ultimately, Joseph obeys what the angel told him to do. And now culturally, by naming the child, Joseph has officially accepted him as his own, And this legally incorporates him into the line of David. Again, Jesus is the son of David, son of man, and the son of God, fully, simultaneously, and forever. Now with that background in mind, let's look at some of the lyrics that William Dix has penned. Early on in this hymn, we see the phrase, Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. And we see in that, you know, some older English words, we might not use the word laud too much, but we can understand it as praise. And that urgency, that that rushing that Dix captures in his writing, to hurry, to hurry, to give Jesus praise. We can think of the shepherds and even insert ourselves in their place in our minds of what it would be like to receive this angelic, heavenly, magnificent message that Jesus had been born, and then to go and hurry and to go and see what they had described. And we can think to ourselves of the importance of running to Jesus, whether we are walking with God for a long time, whether that's new to us or something we've yet to enter into in relationship with God, that importance of turning quickly to Jesus, to going to give him praise. 
There's this unique line, the babe, the son of Mary. Now, it would be very easy to rhyme God with Lod, that it would read, haste, haste to bring him Lod, the babe, the son of God. But Dix chooses to write, the babe, the son of Mary. And it catches our attention. It's almost like an unresolved chord. It's something that sticks out to us. It stands out. And again, it points to this importance that Jesus was born of a human, as a human, but also fully God. The next part we'll look at is why lies he in such mean a state where ox and lamb are feeding? And again, we're kind of getting our lesson in Old English, but mean estate, not like angry estate, but a lowly place, a humble place for him to be. We talked about the Messiah a bit ago and the long-awaited expectation that there would be for him to come. And the connotation that would have with military might, with deliverance in a political sense even, in ways that would be setting people free, that probably wasn't expected that he would be born in a displaced kind of way with animals among him, even lying in a feeding trough. And yet that is the humility that our Savior, our Lord, has chosen to enter into, that even before his ministry, the example of humility that he showed and demonstrated to us. Next, we look at nails, spear shall pierce him through, The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. Those are three short lines with just some powerful, powerful truth packed in them. That Dix is directing us, even at the Christmas time, the story of Jesus' birth, to look ultimately to the sacrifice of Jesus. Looking to him as the Savior, the one who would lay down his life, who would die for me, who would die for you, taking our place, choosing to go through a a horrific and painful death, taking on sin, experiencing punishment that he was not deserving of, and yet doing so for our sake, that we can acclaim and praise enthusiastically the Word made flesh, that this God that we wouldn't see now, we see in the flesh, in the life of Jesus. Next, we come to come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That call to whatever social status someone may be, whether it's a shepherd or in the years to come, the the wise men that would come from the east and everywhere in between. Whatever we have, whatever status we come from, whatever story we have, It is our call to come to Jesus, to go before him, to enthrone him in our hearts, that we would choose him as our king, that we would live out the life in his kingdom. Again, that word own, an older English word meaning to acknowledge or recognize, that we would choose him for who he is and not live in opposition to this truth. Let's also remember again the man who wrote these words. We can learn from looking at the life of William Chatterton Dix that occupations do not determine our call to ministry. Our job titles do not determine if we are ministering to others in the name of the Lord. 
It's a call for each person who is walking in relationship with Jesus to love God with our everything, as well about sharing with others about the way, the truth, and the life, to share Jesus with other people. It doesn't take working in a church or in some sort of ministry to have that call on our life. The baseline requirement is that relationship with Jesus, and that is enough to then be in ministry to other people. And we have the opportunity when faced with great difficulty to draw close to God. Consider again the life that he had and the sickness that William Chatterton Dix experienced that wasn't just a short flu, but nearly wiped him out and the depression that ensued. And yet he chose from that to draw closer to God rather than diverging further away from him. And great personal challenges do not have to pull us away from God. We can choose that closeness and that relationship with him, even in the midst of our darkest, most challenging times. So at Christmas time, and always, may we remember the incarnation. Reflect on the Word made flesh, that Jesus being fully God and fully human. It's easy to remember at Easter time what Jesus has done for us. And yet we can recall, even at Christmas time, that the baby in the manger, ultimately what he would do, where his life would lead. He is the one who takes all of our hurts, all of our sin, all of our brokenness. The one who knows human limitations, who knows our weakness, who knows temptation and the fallen nature of our world, not because of observing it from afar, but by experiencing it and living it as a human. This one is the one who made the way for us. He is the way for us to receive rescue, to receive redemption, and to receive restoration. This, this is Christ the King, just as William Dix has written so long ago. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your plans, your purposes. Thank you that even when we choose to separate ourselves from you, that you made a way, that you made a way for us to be connected back with you. And Jesus is the way. We celebrate and remember your first coming, Jesus. Thank you for the humility that you modeled Thank you for your power, your kingship, your might, and that we see you as this baby in a manger. Lord, thank you for your way and that we can choose to follow you and receive from you what you would have for us. Help us to remember you in this Christmas season and at all times. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.